Hey, history lovers. I'm Mike Rosenwald with Retropod, a show about the past rediscovered. This is the axe. And if you'll notice very carefully, you can see the remnants of the, the blood rust. That's H. Keith Melton, an intelligence historian and one of the world's biggest collectors of spy paraphernalia. We were walking around the newly expanded spy museum in Washington, D.C., which has on display hundreds of pieces from his collection. Like this ice axe we're looking at, with its long, sharp pick. What was it like when you first held the axe in your hands? When I first saw it, they wouldn't let me hold it. It was in a box. Could look at it. Could look at it. Could photograph it. Uh Couldn't hold it. But when you did get it into your hands, what did it feel like? On one hand, I was very, very thrilled. It was the end of a 40-year search. But he had misgivings, too. The blood on that axe belonged to Leon Trotsky, the Russian revolutionary and communist theorist. And I never want to minimize that this was a brutal murder of one of the brilliant minds of the century. Following Soviet leader Vladimir Lenin's death in 1924, Trotsky emerged as his potential successor. But he was outmaneuvered by Joseph Stalin, who would go on to become one of history's most brutal dictators. Trotsky was banned from the Soviet Union in 1927. In exile, he bounced from one country to the next. With the Russians pressing other European countries to make his life miserable, Mexico offered him asylum, and he moved there in 1937. But exile, that wasn't good enough for Stalin, especially as Trotsky, an intellectual and revolutionary, made a living writing damning works about him. Stalin, a socialist with an iron fist, wanted, how to put it, well, finality. He wanted Trotsky dead, and he had the means to that end. One of the most fascinating intelligence services of the last century was, of course, Russian intelligence. Starting in the Russian Revolution, the Vecheka, it evolved in the Cold War to the KGB. And it was a service that never hesitated to use assassination. From the very beginning, it was a very brutal service. Uh, They ultimately saw assassination was a tool. Trotsky had been writing critical articles about Stalin in the press, and he was nearing completion of a biography about him. Stalin didn't want that book to be finished. The Russian intelligence service, the NKVD, began an elaborate operation on two different levels to begin to infiltrate his compound. We are entering spy thriller territory now. That first level, well, it may have been one of the worst assassination attempts in history. The Russians sent 24 men dressed as Mexican police to storm Trotsky's compound. The assassins went straight to Trotsky's bedroom. They fired 300 rounds into the bed and they missed Trotsky. You heard that right. He was in the bed with his wife, Natalia. She rolled him over on the floor and put her body on top of his. And miraculously, with the angle of fire, he was spared. Well, for the moment. Four days later, 
the Russians activated a second assassination plot. And the assassin's name was Ramon Mercader. It was the son of a Spanish heroine of the Spanish Civil War named Caridad Mercader. Okay, listen closely now, because we're entering the stage of the story with a cast of characters as big as the Brady Bunch. She had been seduced by the head of Russian intelligence in Spain by the name of Leonoid Eidingen. And Eidingen convinced her to give her son, who was this dashing young political officer, to be trained as an assassin. Ramon Mercader assumed the identity of a Belgian diplomat. Meanwhile, Russian intelligence operatives identified a young American communist intellectual and Trotsky friend named Sylvia Ageloff. Mercader traveled to a conference in Paris that she attended, and he befriended her. They kept in touch. Mercader moved to Mexico, then lured Ageloff there. She had access to Trotsky's compound. Mercader went with, posing as a sympathizer. Of course, Mercader was an assassin in waiting. He met with Trotsky numerous times over a three-month period. Trotsky ultimately became so comfortable with him that the two would meet without any bodyguards present. On August 20, 1940, Mercader went to see Trotsky, telling him he had an article about Stalin he wanted him to review. It was really a ruse to get him to sit at his desk to review it. Mercader arrived at the compound wearing an overcoat jacket on a muggy day. Concealed in his waistband was a Star 45 caliber semi-automatic pistol. He had a 13-inch dagger in his jacket, and he was carrying a shortened ice-climbing axe. And his plan was to kill Trotsky silently. Mercader didn't want to stir the guards. So the gun? That wouldn't work. Too loud. The dagger? Trotsky would probably scream. So he had the idea that the key was to come up behind Trotsky and with an ice-climbing axe, strike him once in the back of the head, brutally, and it would be instantaneous silent death. But here's the thing about assassins. They have to be willing to see some gory stuff. Mercator was not. But as he raised the axe with both hands, he closed his eyes because he didn't want to see the gore. And as he was about to strike, Trotsky sensed something was wrong. And he turned around in about a 270 degree angle. And instead of hitting him in the back of the head, it penetrated two and three quarter inches into the side of his head. Trotsky did ultimately die. But first, he let out this terrible scream, and the bodyguards rushed in. They beat Mercader half to death. The assassin was imprisoned in Mexico for 20 years, then moved to Russia, where KGB officials awarded him the Hero of the Soviet Union Award, sort of like the U.S. Presidential Medal of Freedom. There's a coda to this story. The coda is Melton, the spy gadget collector. An engineer by trade, Melton worked in private industry. He owned dozens and dozens of McDonald's franchises and consulted with the CIA. On the side, he became a collector. And Melton wanted to have that axe. 
For years and years, he looked. He tracked down investigators of Trotsky's murder. He placed ads in newspapers. He flew to Mexico, to Russia. Nada. Then one day in 2005, a woman in Mexico named Ana Alicia came forward to sell it. Her father had been a Mexican police officer. He took it from the evidence room a few years after the murder, gave it to her, and she hid it under her bed for decades. Melton bought it, verified it using records and photos, and now you can go see it at the Spy Museum, where Melton recently donated the bulk of his collection. The story, to Melton, isn't really over, though, because assassination... It continues to be used as a tool. Only now, the Russians attempt to kill silently in other, more daring and painful ways, like with actual radioactivity. A British judge says Russian President Vladimir Putin probably approved a plan to assassinate a former Kremlin agent. Alexander Litvinenko died in 2006 after drinking tea laced with radioactive poison. I'm Mike Rosenwald. Thanks for listening. For more forgotten stories from history, visit WashingtonPost.com slash Retropod.